Hello, and welcome to another episode of Podcasting Success Secrets. My name is Hector Santi Esteban. I'm your guide for today. We're here with Lorraine Connell, and she is our special guest. She's doing important work. She's someone who actually was a member of our podcast AMA and original boot camp. More importantly, she is doing some really important work for students. So, Lorraine, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Hector. Let's go back to the beginning and the inception, the origin story, if you will. You know, I yeah. gotta imagine in your field, you're probably one of the few people doing a podcast, and it's not the natural thing to do. So, take us back. How did it start? And then maybe fill us in on where the show is at now. Okay. So I, at the time of doing the podcast, was a educator of high school students. And I taught chemistry predominantly, but I also ran this program that was called Peer Leadership, and it was Developing Student Leaders. Much like many people, COVID had a dramatic impact on me, and I could see the impact it was having on my students and my own children. One of the things that I did during COVID was I kind of paused the actual curriculum of chemistry and just started talking to students about, hey, what are your other teachers doing? Because we were so isolated as teachers. We were not running across each other in the hallways. We were not encountering and having coffee talks or anything like that. I wasn't sure what other people were feeling and what other teachers were doing. And so I just started asking kids like, what's going on in your other classes? And the advice, the ideas, the challenges was so interesting to me that I was like, huh, I wonder if I could capture some of this for other teachers to hear. I have been an avid podcast listener for all my life. I just love them, can't get enough of them. And I think that's how it started for me, that I was like, I'm going to record these conversations and then I'm going to make a podcast out of it, which looking back at (laughs) my journey, it's like so interesting that that was my idea. Yeah. Perhaps not. I mean, we can get into the spiritual and the metaphysical part of it, but that's not what we're here to talk about. It's not something that emerged out of vanity or something that emerged because you wanted to be the star of something, which I think it's it's great. It can be those things, but you saw a need and kind of wanted to fill that. Was there a moment where you pushed it off? Did you feel yourself saying no or procrastinating or delaying? Like my most recent show, I can't tell you how many times I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't have time. But the voice in my head kept getting louder and louder and louder that I couldn't ignore it anymore, that I had to just silence the voice and just finally start the show. What was that initial taking the leap process for you like? It's funny. I think I have encountered a lot of people in my circles now who are like, yeah, I kind of, I want to start a podcast. And how do you even like start a podcast? And I'm like thinking back on me and I was like, I never even like wanted to do a podcast before. It never even entered my sphere of like, maybe I could do that. It was just, I needed to capture the conversations and I needed a host of that information and podcasting just seemed to be the right fit 
I think I just started doing it and I just started recording them. I had a batch of recordings and then I was like, oh, now I need to know what to do with this stuff. And I think I had one or two people in my life who had some guidance, but I think actually it may have been, I'm trying to remember the timeline, but I think I had been on one or two podcasts. I think I started blogging first. Somebody saw one of my blogs. She had a podcast. I think I was trying to get into becoming an expert outside of being a teacher. And I got on a podcast and it felt really amazing. And then I just started recording mine. And I think that is really how it happened. I was on a podcast and then I started recording my own podcast. And then somebody shared some software for me to learn how to edit. And I'm really excited to share my... My stories of my editing woes. I remember when you started in the boot camp. I think you were spending something like eight to 10 hours an episode recording. Absolutely. So we're going to come back to that. But I want to get your insights on how you landed on the premise of your show. Because I think you've got a unique premise. And you touched on it a little bit, but I'd love for you to talk about who's on the show, what you're talking about, and then... If you can also share, like, I mean, I think you mentioned that a little bit in the story, but how you landed on that being the format of this show. And I think it's gone through some evolutions. So maybe you can unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So because I was a teacher of student leaders, I was seeing some pretty interesting gaps in education on how we were developing student leaders and student voice. And I started to realize that we gave students the opportunity to share their voice, but we never really wanted to use their ideas. I guess I don't mean to say we never wanted to, but we never did use their ideas in the way that felt authentic for them. I also saw that we were giving a small percentage of students leadership opportunities in school, which left a whole lot of kids out of that equation. I'm talking about like 90% of kids. You know, if we think of the number of titles that are available for students to be a leader in school, there aren't a lot. One of the myths that I talk about in the work that I do is that leadership is a title. If we believe that myth, then many of us will never become leaders. So the idea was that I wanted students to share their experience of what education was for them, then have an opportunity to share advice to me as their educator, to their peers, and potentially administrators if they chose to listen. So the idea was that students have this incredible wealth of ideas and we in education are not tapping into that. And I even go so far as to say, if you think of the model of education, the teacher is the expert, the kids are the receivers of that information. If we live in that realm of what education is, that's one tiny brain. I don't mean to say that educators have tiny brains, but it's one small percentage of the capacity that you have in a classroom to access. And so I just started to realize that we weren't accessing 
students and their voices to the capacity that we could as educators. And that's also kind of when my shift in education really came. I started listening. I started being more vulnerable myself and my students started being more vulnerable. All of this came from advice that kids had given me along the way. Now I was just trying to give it back. Yeah. It's really cool because in trying to think about how someone might utilize this, I think that there's always a group of people that we're serving that perhaps they're the ones that we're serving most that we listen to the least sometimes in this particular instance, but getting the feedback of those types of people in in a maybe not so weird way, the students are your customers. They're the people who you're serving. And so I think that utilizing their opinion is just a really cool way to generate source material, right? Like from a podcast search perspective. So I think that's cool. And there's always some cool opportunities there. Has that created some challenges though? Because students and privacy and have you gotten any pushback from other faculty members? I mean, I just imagine that you're doing something so different that you're going to ruffle some feathers. Am I off base with that? Or is that something that you experienced? Unfortunately, I've not become world famous with this amazing podcast that I think is so fantastic. So I don't have the numbers of listeners that would cause people to pause. So they're hearing their story and things like that. I also don't have a wealth of guests. As I stepped away from teaching, my number of guests went down. But age plays a factor in these conversations. And a lot of times I'm talking to former high school students who have graduated. And so they're now adults and they can make their own decisions. I did speak to a group of eighth graders, I think in my first and second season, I have several eighth graders Those were family friends and friends of friends. So they knew who I was. And I think that's also part of the challenge for me is if you don't know who I am as a 15, 16, 17 year old, why should I talk to this person? What value will that bring for me? And luckily, I found several students who were willing to take that risk with me. But a lot of what I've learned is from that relationship that I've built. And so a stranger finding my podcast and wanting to be interviewed on it as a teenager is slim. And so I had to do a lot of work in cultivating relationships with people that I didn't know. I know that in just hearing that that's being the challenge, the ideas that come for me are leaning on your network. I'd imagine that as you continue to record episodes, I think people will start to know you as the person. I think you're coming up on, you just hit 50 episodes. Is that what it is? Yeah. So I tweeted this a while ago and I, you tweet them out into the X sphere and you don't know what happens to them. Sometimes they land and sometimes they don't. But I was on a call yesterday with another podcaster and she's like, I screenshotted that. I sent it to my team. What it said was that your first 50 episodes, you find your voice. Your second 50 to 100 is kind of about finding an audience. And then 100 to 150, that's when you can kind of look up and start to monetize. I think our mutual friend, Matt Gilhooley, he's just about to publish episode 100. I think he's at just at 20,000 downloads. He'll tell you it feels like he's been working for a lifetime. But that 100 episode mark is where things really start to open up. At the episode 50 mark, what we say there is like you start to figure some stuff out in the sense of 
You figure out what didn't work. You figure out what does work. You start to find some things that resonate. The other thing that came to mind was like, you've probably got, oh my goodness, extra credit goes so far. <laughs> can you get can you get some teachers to do some extra credit or the challenge with extra credit is it only attracts like a certain kind of kid like that leadership thing that you're yes. talking about so that's a whole nother conversation that we're not going to have today but <laughs> we can chat off recording about some of that stuff so maybe it's not just extra credit maybe it's part of the detention <laughs> I I spent a number of Saturdays in Saturday school for a variety of reasons we won't get into today either, but perhaps there is a way to integrate it. I even think that podcasting is becoming more popular, mainstream, and a lot of kids want to be YouTubers and influencers and such. I was more of a nerd, so I was not drawn and still not drawn to that sort of stuff. But I would imagine that for me, I was on the speech and debate team and I like to talk, right? Or I like to win argument. And so I'm wondering, like, going to those specific places and those specific people, so the speech and debate teams, the model UN kinds of things. And of course, you're only getting a certain types of people, but then maybe you go to the football teams and the baseball team and the baseball coaches and cultivate a relationship with them. I could see them having one or two or three people students that they can say, hey, these would be good kids. And if they're coming in with the understanding that Coach Rick says, talk to Miss Connell, like, all right, and Coach Rick is sitting there with me or watching me, I think that there's ways to source those kinds of guests. And it's going to take a little bit of legwork. But but I think you're not alone in that sort of challenge where we have a I don't want to say a unique sort of guest, but we have this guest that maybe we don't have the direct connection to. So how do we find that connection? I'm kind of that seven steps to Kevin Bacon. I'm a big believer in that, where we can get to anybody through other people and, of course, be a good person and all that sort of stuff along the way. But I think those are some ideas for you. I'm going to throw it back to you and see what some of your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with the networking. And that is sort of where you came into my world with the podcast AMA. I was deep into season two and the opportunity to be part of a cohort of other people doing what I was doing at various stages was just so beneficial to me because at that point, I was, as you said, putting in a ton of time. It was a labor of love. My podcast has under 2,000 downloads of 53 episodes. So I wasn't doing it for my audience. I mean, that was my intent. I wanted other people to hear it. I still want other people, other teachers, other parents, other students to hear so that they don't feel so alone in their world. But there are a lot of hurdles and there are a lot of obstacles that present themselves. And for me, I can sit here and tell you all the reasons why it's so hard for me to get a guest through the podcast AMA. You guys encouraged me to to do a couple of solo episodes and I did them, they were a lot harder for me. As I struggle to find guests, that's another direction that I can take. But I often feel like one of my best attributes in this journey of developing student leadership is that I empower others. And when it is just my voice, I struggle that I'm not empowering others. And 
that's in my own box of feelings because if somebody else is listening to my podcast, then I'm empowering them essentially. But that's too separated for me to be able to like get out of my own way to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think so many people who are listening are nodding along with you in that challenge. When I'm recording, I it's probably, I mean, I switch back in my head because I'm trying to think about what is the listener thinking? What are they asking? What are they saying? What excuse, what objection, what critique are they having? Because if we can have that sort of empathy, if you will, compassion in some strange way, then we're going to create content that's more resonant, regardless of whether we're talking to someone else or we're just talking to the camera. So I think that you're on and I don't know that it's ever going to be perfect, but for people who are going through that process, I think that having like your little angel devil, your little wisp on your shoulder at being that your ideal listener sitting there whispering in your ear, here's the next question. Here's what I'm thinking. You know, what about this? How about that? It can be really, really helpful. Let's talk about this editing journey. I appreciate you saying everything about the podcast AMA. We're starting up actually another sort of mastermind bootcamp, you know, cohort sort of thing, because now the echoes have been coming from the outside. The voices are not in my head. They're yelling at me to start up this thing because it is so powerful to do this alongside somebody because podcasting is such a siloed sort of activity. One of the things that you learned, though, was really you just cut down on your editing time. And I don't know if it's ballooned back up. I got to tell you, I can't tell you how many times I I cut down on my process and then I just find ways to make it long and I just add more stuff onto it. But what's that journey been like? Because you were spending like eight plus hours on a single episode, which can be really taxing, obviously, for people. Yeah, I think part of the problem was I was recording teens and young adults. So their journey to getting to the meat of content can be a lot longer. So I would record for about an hour with them and end up trying to produce a 15 to 20 minute segment. So right off the bat, it's easy to eliminate not valuable content. But then I was a lot of ums and ands and you knows and pauses in conversation. For some reason, I thought I had to eliminate every single one of them. And I don't remember where that information came from. Because I had my own family saying, Lorraine, it sounds so staccato because you cut everything out. I heard that time and time and time again, but I still felt like I had to cut that out. And long came Descript. (laughs) And that came from just me bemoaning to a friend saying, I spend so much time just cutting the Ann ums and you knows out. And she said, there's got to be some sort of app for that. (laughs) And that's when I found Descript. That was a game changer for me. It still took a lot of time because I wanted to make sure that what I was cutting out was not valuable and didn't cut into another word. And it's all about becoming 
good at a tool and allowing for that journey to take place, but not getting so sucked in to that belief that Lorreen had that every pause had to be removed. Every filler word had to be removed. Not getting so far down that rabbit hole of, I want to say, I want to say it and I'm going to say it, perfectionism, because I think that was part of my problem. You know, like I thought if I just edited it better, it would be perfect and more people would listen to it. I have since come to the understanding that I am not perfect. I still have to do a lot of work in telling myself that, but you know, I still, I still have that. We have to stop, I'm going to stop you there. You are perfect. And you are just the way you are, Lauren. Okay. Exactly. Uh, so right, I, right, right. I, I need to affirm that. But we've worked with some people who come from the academic world and they tend to have the same sort of sentiment. Mindset seems too harsh, paradigm maybe, where in an essay, when you're writing an essay, you are cutting everything that's not, like you were saying, conducive to the point you're taking an hour recording and going down to 20 minutes. I'm like, whoa, that's a lot. But that is kind of what you might do with an essay where you write 5,000 words on the first draft and then you cut it down to, whatever you cut it down to. And I've seen that and we've had to caution those people to let their podcasts breathe. There's actually another post that seemed to resonate with people recently is the concept of letting it breathe where an um is there to let the listener catch up to the, I talk so fast. So sometimes the ums are for my brain to catch up but it also allows the listener to catch up as well. And so those cadences are normal parts of our speech. And so we don't talk like we write. And you know, the other thing, Lorraine, and Descript, we love Descript, big fan of Descript. We use them to edit all of our shows. But what we have to be cautioned against is similarly, the listener is not going to be looking at the transcript when they are listening. And so we can't always rely on that. And it's also helpful to when you're editing to listen. If you have the transcript like the script does and you can kind of follow along, that's helpful at a certain rate to kind of see what's going on and you can kind of do some loose cutting. But it's also helpful to listen to it with your eyes closed or just away from the transcript because that's how the listener is going to experience it. They're not going to be sitting there reading the transcript, seeing each word highlighted as it goes through like you are on the script. And that sort of experience, if you're only editing from there, it creates a different sort of um, experience than what the listener is going to have. Yeah. Yeah. And I think those were the tidbits of advice that I really found to be helpful when I was part of that cohort was you aren't going to create something that a listener is also reading or a reader is also listening to. You know, it's like there's separate things. And I think I struggle with my own writing. I have always been told that I write the way that I talk. And so like (laughs) to have those worlds kind of collide has been unique for me. How how funny that it's like now coming back to bite you again. You're like, dang, now it's, <laughs> I can't, can't catch a break here. It's wonderful, actually. And I think it's really cool that this medium is opening itself to the education space. We have some friends of the show, the founders of the EdUp Network the higher education network. They've got a bunch of shows in that space. I don't know if you're familiar with them. If not, I'll connect you with Joe and Elvin. Awesome guys. But I also think that knowing them, they're probably much better talkers than they are writers. 
and they're much better at talking out ideas and having conversations than maybe they are writing these academic essays. And Joe and Elvin might come on the show and be like, hey, watch your mouth, Hector. Like, don't, don't, don't speak over me. But they're such great conversationalists. That too, I think, is a really powerful thing that is opening up for a lot of different industries and spaces that would otherwise not be having these sorts of conversations. And so I just kind of want to affirm you for that as well, because you're in the infancy of that. But when you get to season five and six and seven and 10, like, you know, you're going to kind of be a, a hallmark foundational piece of the education space. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? What's next for the show? You're at kind of like a, I don't want to say a crossroads. Maybe it doesn't seem like a crossroads. Maybe it seems like an LA freeway interchange. So where are you at and what's next for you? So season one was really easy. I had 20 years of students that I could source from and I had students who knew students and things like that. Season two was a little bit harder because I had stepped away from teaching and I had really exhausted the connections that I felt had a story to be told. But I expanded the gap to adults who maybe had worked with students who were using student voice in a way. And I had reached out on social media and connected with some other people who fit the mold. And then I did some of my own solo episodes. Season three, I'm not entirely sure which direction to go. I am now consulting. I am working for schools and helping them develop student leadership. And I would love to engage with those students who have worked with me in this capacity and have them sort of share where their school was before, where they were before, and where they find themselves now. Maybe talking to the administrators and the teachers who are engaged in this work as well. But I'm not entirely sure what I want that focus to be in season three knowing that I want it to stay within student voice and student leadership focused. Yeah. So hearing that season three can really, I mean, there's no right answer, which is a nice thing. But when we're thinking about it from a podcasting perspective, we're always coming from it as like, who's the ideal listener? And what's nice is that you're probably starting to figure that out has that become a little clearer over the first 50 episodes in terms of who is listening or who's continuing to listen? Yeah, I think it started out who was listening would be the family members or the network of the guests that I had. And I think in season two, it really started to flesh out to be the teachers who value student voice or teachers who wanted to find a way to build better connections with their students. My initial goal was to bring voice to students. And then as I left teaching and started my business, I was like, I need to get my message out. The teachers who would be my listeners, they're not the people who are going to hire me. I think I had a challenge and maybe I'm still facing that challenge is that I want this for teachers, but they're not the people who are going to hire me. And so I think as a business owner former educator, you know, I'm having this difficulty navigating who the ideal listener is from what I want it to be and what I kind of need it to be in order to get out there. And that's something I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. 
I think it's a great place to be. And so the thing that comes to my mind is that there's probably more teachers than administrators, right? I mean, just yes. in a large number. And to your point, the teachers are the ones that are actually going to take this material and integrate it on a day-to-day basis. And so I think that they're the ones who are, we talk about avatars when we're starting a show. Your primary avatar, if you will, the person that you want to think most about is the teacher. Now, what you also want to realize is that teacher can become an advocate for you. So that teacher is going to be the one that's going to take it to an administrator and go, hey, you need to listen to this, like that sort of thing. Your secondary avatar can be your administrator because you're going to have some for there. So maybe you have a series for them or you have certain episodes for them or one out of every four or five episodes is a little more focused towards the administrator sort of stuff. Or I even like an admin's toolbox thing because the teachers are going to be the ones who are there for the conversations and the stories and the relation. And they're going to want to hear how those things are being developed on a day-to-day, on a personal sort of basis. The administrator is going to want to come in and go, all right, well, what's the practical, what's the practical side? Like you're saying all this, how are we going to implement this change? Those I think could lend themselves to solo episodes where it's like, all right, I hear you, Lorraine. What's the answer? And you can come in, you can lay your frameworks or your models or your your steps or here's some activities or here's some exercises or whatever it is. And most administrators, they're going to listen to a 15 minute episode and they're going to go, that's fantastic, but I'm not going to be able to execute that. I don't know what that's going to take. And so then it's a really good lead in. And so that's, that's how I see you being able to kind of break, break that up with the focus being on teachers and really serving teachers. And I think just more ideas for you and the listener is that if you could put together some sort of like an admins package that they could just say, and if you want your vice principal to see this, just send them this link and and it has everything for the admins and all the resources that they need to see and stuff. Or maybe that's a playlist of episodes. I like utilizing those on our hosting provider. And I think even Spotify allows you to create those. So, so those yeah, are some actually- I was just going to ask, those were a couple of questions that have come up through my journey in conversations with other people. Somebody was like, download this private podcast. And I was like, why would anybody have a private podcast? I'm curious, and I don't know if we can go into any of these questions that I have, but a private podcast. Spotify has playlists that I've heard a couple of podcasters say, if you're interested in this focus area, what makes a podcaster go in that direction, go in the private podcast direction, things like that? The private podcast one is, I don't know that I'd recommend it for this instance. I think it's great for paid stuff, for things that you want to keep either confidential or proprietary. Okay. What I'm more of a fan of, and especially in the consulting space, is that you can give away stuff and you can give away the information. It's the implementation and the execution yeah. that, that is the biggest challenge. So I don't know that in this instance, I would recommend the private one. Now we use Captivate. We're a big fan of Captivate for our hosting provider. Spotify allows you to make these playlists. And I think that these are great when you are going to use it for a specific use case like this, where you, the challenge with podcasts is that they're all jumbled in there. They're all on one feed. And if you've got 50 some episodes and I'm an administrator, I don't want to go through and scroll through all of your ones and try and parse yeah. through which episodes are right for me and which ones are our conversations. So if you can just send someone a direct link that either goes to a playlist of episodes on your website or a playlist of episodes on Spotify, then they don't have to go through 
all of the parsing. They don't have to go through all of the scrolling. They just know here are the 7, 10, 12, whatever that are speaking to this specific use case. If someone's not in your space, maybe you have a fitness one and you've got ones on weight loss and you've got some episodes on weight gain and you've got some episodes on exercise and nutrition. You've got all these kind of subtopics. Playlists are great for the subtopics and also when you're going to be actively sending it to somebody. So it's something that that, that you're going to be using actively. It's not incredibly likely that anybody are going to stumble on these playlists on their own, but they're great to use in these instances. I'm not going to force you to do all the work to look through them. I'm just going to give you this one link and then they can go through and get all of the information. They can listen to episode seven and 42 and 66 and whatever episodes you think are right for that playlist. Yeah. And I think it makes sense as I or anyone creates a hundred plus episodes, it makes sense to group them so that you can share them. Because if I come in as a listener at (laughs) episodes 150, I'm not likely going to go back to episode one and listen through up until 150. And that, I guess, is another avenue in which you can continue to recirculate podcasts because most of my podcasts are not timely. Evergreen is what we call them. Evergreen. Yeah. Most of my podcasts are evergreen. So they can be accessed at any point, at any time. It's not like, well, this is the Thanksgiving podcast. Or this is the ninth grade podcast. Yeah, this is such a good discussion. And I I know that podcasters are getting some value out of this. Lorraine, if people who are listening want to listen to your show, get deeper in your world, where's the best place to go? So I would say my website is definitely a good place to start. You can find me at peers-not-fears.com. And you can listen to the podcast that I've been on, as well as my podcast, which is Student Voice Future Leaders. And that's hosted on Spotify and Apple as well. Cool. Lorraine, it was an awesome discussion. And thank you everyone for sticking with us and being with us today. If you got some value out of today, which I'm I'm sure you did, otherwise you would have turned it off long ago. We would love and appreciate a rating, a review, wherever you get your podcasts, especially Spotify. If you happen to have that app on your phone or you're listening on Spotify, if you could scroll up to the top and give us as many stars as you think I am worthy of, but don't poke my self-worth shame button. So we'd appreciate as many as you can give us. If you know a podcaster out there who is thinking about starting one or has one, send them this episode. Let's grow the tribe together. Go get connected with Lorraine and myself, and we'll see you on the next one. Later, y'all.